Well, good morning again. As we were worshiping this morning, I kept thinking about the tabernacle and how it wasn't, well, I'm really thinking of Moses. It says, when Moses went in to speak with God or to hear the words of God, he went into the holy of holies. He stood before the mercy seat. Really, what we're going to do now is now enter into the Holy of Holies, as it were. We're going to hear the words of God. You're going to see me, you're going to hear my voice. The last thing we want to do is hear Eric. We want to hear from the living God. It's a dreadful thing, and yet it's something of which the Bible says that we can enter boldly into his presence. We can come and we can listen. It's our choice to hear God or not. It's our choice to look at our phone or not. It's our choice to fall asleep. It's our choice to whatever we do. It's our choice. The admonition for us as God's children is that we would have ears to hear. Hearts to apply. May God do that for us today. May we really hear Christ today. But I ask you to stand with me, and I don't mean that, I hope you're not discouraged in any way. That's an encouragement. We're going to speak. Our living God is going to speak to us. Let's stand, let's pray, let's hear what God says to us today. Father, we thank you that you are a God who is not silent. You're a God who communes with his people. And Lord, you call us to abide with you. That, Lord, I pray that we would be Mary's today. That in the busyness of our lives, and our lives are busy, that we would take this time to choose the better thing. To settle our minds. To sit at your feet and hear from you as we worship you as you so deserve. May we worship you in listening. And we thank you, Father, the promise that you give us is that the Holy Spirit will guide us and teach us. Help us, Lord God, to hear our Father's heart for us this day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what God says to us today. It's found in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist has come. Somehow many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they are not of us. They are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do, you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. 
But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not turn back from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So, word of the Lord, you may be seated. In our study of 1 John, really on the Christian disciplines, John has already showed us that we are to hold fast to that which we have heard from the beginning. John says, I proclaim you that which I've seen, which I've heard, which I've touched. This I proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. He writes that we, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, one who stands in our place for us. Imagine trying to plead your case before God. Imagine trying to plead your case before God. I'm in the book of Job in my devotions, and that's the very thing that Job wants to do. He really doesn't know what he's asking, because when he gets the chance, he realizes this was a bad idea. I'm just going to rest on the grace and the mercy of God. We cannot plead our case. We are guilty before a sovereign, holy, just God. And unless God himself and Jesus Christ is our advocate, we have no hope. Thanks be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. He says he writes to them a new old commandment that we love one another because this is how we know that we're from God if we love one another. He warned us not to love the world or the things of the world. And now John is giving into what some theologians would say is another test, that of believing correctly. That's the title for today, Fellowship with God, Believing Correctly. John begins with the word children, a term of endearment. He says it is the last hour, the last hour hour. Children, is the last hour as we heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. Again, that phrase, the last hour, it's not something new. John has already told us not to love the world or the things of the world because the world is passing away. Verse 17 of chapter 2, and the world is passing away along with the desires for whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the last hour is not a new concept for John. He's building on what he's already stated. But what does John mean by the last hour? Probably we already know. I know what the last hour is. John Calvin has an interesting take on it. John Calvin says it's the last hour because we have the last revelation from God. It's the last hour because this is all God left us, so this is the last hour. There is nothing new that God is going to say to us. We're going to learn absolutely nothing about God here on this side of heaven, outside of Scripture. Scripture is the full revelation of what God wants us to know on this side of heaven. And I personally believe that heaven will be of deeper and deeper and deeper for all of eternity understanding of what God has revealed to us here on this side of heaven. It's going to, it's going to be just continuous, joyful learning of who God is. What is the last hour? 
David Allen, in his commentary, says this. What John means is not time as it is reckoned sequentially, time as it, as it tick-tocks off the clock second by second, but rather an epic of time. I love that, an epic of time. <coughs> it is the epic of time because of the time in which God is building his church. It is, by definition for us, the period of, from the ascension of Christ to the return of Christ. That is an epic of time. Why is it an epic? You know, we have good stories in history, epics. The Odyssey, the Iliad, Macbeth, all these kind of, uh, uh, you know, very famous stories. But Christ is building the greatest epic of all time. The time between his ascension and his return. And in that period of time, it is a period of time in which Satan will try to sift the church like wheat, we're told. It will be a time of great deception. It will be a time of great persecution and turning away. It will be a time of which the love of many will grow cold. How encouraging, is it not? It is a time when evil will be so bad that Jesus says he's going to cut the day short for the sake of the elect. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. It got so bad in the days of Noah that God said, I'm ending. I'm ending things. But it is also a time of great hope. It is a time of great hope and rejoicing for God's children because our redemption is nearer now than ever before, the scripture tells us. It is a time, a period of which God is building his church. The time in which God is calling his elect to himself. What a great time. But it is a time of period, it is a period of time of which we must be the most diligent about remaining faithful. Paul reminds us of this when he writes to the church in Corinth. He says this in 1 Corinthians 10. Talking about the children of Israel being delivered by a mighty hand from God and how they turned from God. He says, this, this thing's happened to them. He says, now these things happen to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. We're at the end of the ages. When does Christ return? I have no idea. Neither do you. And anybody will tell you they know when Christ is turning. You can be sure of this one thing. They are anti-Christ. They are anti-Christ. No one knows the day or the hour. Jesus made it very clear. No one knows the day or the hour. Jesus said himself, I don't know the time that the Father is going to dispatch me. But when he does, I'm going to go. The call of scriptures always is, are we going to be ready when Christ comes? Well, I'll be ready by now when he's coming. Let's just be honest. We have company over. What do you do? You know they're going to be here at five. You're frantically cleaning the house at three. Unless you live in a house that has no kids and it's pristine. right? Um, you know what I'm talking about. We get ready. We're, we're to constantly be ready. Constantly awaiting the return of Christ. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. John, what well, Paul goes on to say, therefore, because it's the end of the age, therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. 
It is a time of great hope, but it is also a time in which we need to be most diligent in our belief system. John writes it this way. John reminds us that it is a period in which the Antichrist will come and which many Antichrists have already come. Listen to again what he says in verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know it is the last hour. The word Antichrist is only found in John's writings. It's found nowhere else in Scripture. The word Antichrist means against or in place of. Against, anti, against, or in place of. It should come up on the screen. Hopefully the screen is there. Against or in place of. Well, think about that for a minute. We may say to ourselves, well, I'm not against Jesus. But do we practically have things that are in place of Jesus? It's really the same thing, is it not? Jesus warned us that this time was going to come. Jesus doesn't use the word antichrist, rather he uses the words false Christ and false prophets. Matthew 24, 24. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead many astray, if possible, even the elect. We live in a day and age in which people will say, I'm Christ. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one anointed by God. There are many false prophets. The internet is littered with them. Television is littered with them. The radio. They're all over. We need to be very careful and discerning to the people we listen to. Just because they have the name Christian. Just because they're on... Uh, on any particular Christian radio station, I don't want to make a problem here, you know what I'm saying, doesn't mean they're actually Christian. They pay for that time. They pay to be on the radio. They pay to be on the TV. We need to be very discerning in who we listen to. We need to be very discerning in the Christian songs that we listen to. They're going to be feeding us wrong information about who God is. We here at Bible Baptists are very particular about the songs that we sing. We're not singing mainstream Christian songs because they don't reflect anything about Christ. Nothing. Empty. The void of the holiness of God. We need to be careful because in this day and age, false Christs and false prophets, antichrist and antichrist have certainly entered the arena as it were. Paul refers to this Antichrist as the man of lawlessness. Again, he starts with the idea of don't let anyone deceive you. Be careful in this day. Listen to what he says to the church of Thessalonica. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes a seat in the temple of God, <coughs> proclaiming himself to be God. Well, John here focuses not on the Antichrist, but rather on the many Antichrists. And we're not going to focus on the Antichrist. We're going to talk about the many Antichrists. 
We know that the Antichrist is going to come. Scripture is clear about that. What he looks like, how he's going to be. There's some debate on that. But John is writing so that the church would not be deceived by false teachers who have infiltrated the church. John's letter is a corrective letter. He's correcting them on false beliefs. For John's day, it was dealing with the Gnostics. Gnostics believed that, uh, uh, denied the physical incarnation of Christ. They believe in secret knowledge and that really what we do in the flesh doesn't matter. So sin with your body all you want because grace abounds. Again, anti-scripture. That's what John was dealing with. What are we dealing with today? That God is all in all. Well, God this and God that and God accepts and No, God does not. God is clear in what he allows and what he does not allow. John says many antichrists have come. He goes on to say that one of the marks of a person being an antichrist or having the attitude or the spirit of antichrist is that they actually leave the church. So what he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have not, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Now, does that mean if somebody leaves the church that they're antichrist? Absolutely not. That's not what it's saying at all. Many people have left churches. Many people left this church. People left because I'm a jerk to them. People have left because they don't like the TV. People left for they don't like this or they don't like that. There's lots of reasons people would leave a church. People move away. Doesn't mean they're antichrist at all. But he's saying here, it's the people who would actually deny the teaching of Scripture and say, I cannot believe this, I don't buy into what you're saying, therefore I'm leaving. That's what John is talking about. It's plain that they are the, man, man, the mindset of Antichrist because they reject the plain teaching of Scripture. They twist the Scripture to fit their own mindset. James Boyce says this, he's saying that the Spirit that will characterize the final Antichrist is already working in those who have recently left his reader's, his reader's congregation. He goes on to say, they went out from us, he says, in order that it might show that none of them belonged to us. In other words, the defection has in the effect of purifying the church and revealing both truth and error in true colors. On one hand, it's a good thing that they left because they won't infect the church. John says, he makes a contrast to those who have left, those who have the Spirit of the Church, who deny the teachings of Scripture, and those who have the anointing. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. The word anointed is charisma. It's to assign a person to a task with the implication of supernatural sanctions, blessing, and endowment. Jesus told us that we would have this anointing. The anointing is the Holy Spirit teaching us. In John 16, 13, Jesus told his disciples, when the spirit of truth comes, 
He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Jesus makes it clear that it's through the Holy Spirit that we understand the Word of God. It is only through the Holy Spirit that you or I could have ever come to faith. We're going to have a baptismal service next week. One of the things we're going to say is that when somebody's baptized, they're not baptized with the Holy Spirit. You, if you have true faith in Christ, were baptized with the Holy Spirit before you ever even knew it. Because it wasn't until you were baptized with the Spirit that you could actually respond to the things of God. You were able to Humble your heart before God through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us and guides us. Jesus said this to his apostles in Matthew 13, 11, and he answered them, because they asked, how come you teach in parables? How come you're telling these people parables? How come you just not shoot straight? So it is, right? That's the Arab version. Jesus says this, he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. But to them it has not been given. If you belong to Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, <coughs> he himself tells you, you have been given access to the secrets of the kingdom. What an amazing thing that God would trust us with his word. What is the truth which God's children have been anointed to know? They've been anointed to know this. That Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one of God, who is our advocate and propitiation for our sins, and who himself is God. It is upon this truth that Jesus said he will build his church. Remember the declaration of Peter. When Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? Oh, you're John the Baptist, you're Elisha, you're that, you're that, you're that, blah, 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 blah. And Jesus says, you're not understanding what I'm saying. Who do you say that I am? I want to know who you say that I am. And what's interesting is the place of which Jesus asked the question. He was in Caesarea Philippi. One of the furthest places he went from his, his home. And in the place of Caesarea Philippi, we just did this in, in Bible study on Wednesday night a few weeks ago, was a place called the Gates of Hell. Where there's a massive cave that goes into the ground. And they call it the Gates of Hell, in which the God Pan would go to the underworld, in which the gods would also come back out of. The tradition has it that Jesus is standing there at this pagan temple, asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? Peter answers correctly, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, let me read it for you. Let God say it better than I do. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elisha, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered them, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not, been, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Again, he didn't come to it out of his own, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
You want to stand firm in the faith? Stand firm to the end? Do not deny that Jesus Christ is the anointed one, the Son of the living God. You compromise that? The way I understand it, you falter on that, you leave that, you don't build your life on that, and you are on the broad road of destruction. The narrow road says that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. And that's it. John says the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ denies not only Jesus but the Father. And that that is the spirit of Antichrist. What is the spirit of Antichrist? The one who denies that Jesus Christ. Listen to what John says. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. John will go on to repeat this in his second epistle. In John 2, 7. In 2 John 7, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such as as one is the deceiver and the antichrist. There are many false teachers in the church today. We need to make sure that we are students of God's word and test, as I told you already, and test all that we are taught and listened to against God's word. Paul was getting ready to go onto a boat and sail away. He's with the elders from Ephesus. I think it's Acts 18. And it says that he, they went down and they prayed and Paul wept. He said he wept because he says, I know this. That from within your own ranks, from within the church, will arise ravenous wolves who will not spare the flock. He's talking about false teachers. Some have said, and it is true, that the greatest threat to the church is not from without, but from within. The greatest threat to the church is not from without, but from within. The only way to defend ourselves against false teaching and heresy is to be uncompromising in the fact that the Bible is truth. Never, ever apologize or feel ashamed to say, the Bible says. God's word says. That is the standard, whether they believe it or not, for all people. For all people, God's word is the standard. They will all be judged by God's word. As the scriptures would say, let God be true and every man a liar. Satan's job, the job of Antichrist, or the spirit of Antichrist, is just to get you to shift off from scripture. Just a wee bit, just a little bit. Have you ever read C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters? The advice that Screwtape gives to the other demons, a, 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 a nephew demon is writing his uncle saying, what do I do? How do I get this Christian to turn? And, and, and you know, it's an amazing book, actually. And, and, and the senior demon says, all you need to do is befuddle him. 
Just get him to be a little twisty in his thinking about God's word. Just a little bit off. Doesn't the writer of Hebrews warn us to pay more careful attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away? It, it'll be a slow, slow price. It's not going to be we're going to wake up on God just deny everything about Jesus Christ. No, it begins by compromising on a truth. Begins by compromising, probably more than likely, on in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It'll be a compromising on God said that He created them male and female. But God said marriage is between a man and a woman. Those compromises begin somebody down the road of destruction. What we believe about the Bible here at Bible Baptist Church, and I'm not saying to the pat us on the back, because we need to be ever diligent and that this is true for us. That we don't compromise from this. If you were to go on our website and read our statement of faith, this is what it says about the scriptures. The Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, and is God's revelation of Himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principle by which God judges us, and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world, the true center of Christian union, and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, religious opinions shall be tied. Tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. That is what we strive to teach, to hold fast to, about God's word here at Bible Baptist Church. And thanks be to God, many other faithful churches hold to the same truth. But I'll be, let's be honest, that pool is getting smaller and smaller. The only defensive weapon that God gives us is the Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. John makes a contrast between those who deny the Father and those who distinguish between true believers and false believers. He says in verse 23, No one who denies the Son has the Father. You can say, I have Jesus. But if the Jesus you possess is not the Jesus of the Scriptures, first you don't have Jesus and you certainly don't have the Father. What did John say in the beginning of the epistle? And our fellowship is with the Son and with the Father. It says, whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. I like what David Jackman says in his commentary. He writes this, you cannot have God without believing in Jesus. Christ himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If that route is rejected, there is no other. Simply to believe in one God is not saving faith at all. The God of the Bible is a trinity. There is only one true God, and He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Without the Son, we cannot know the Father. Those who deny this use the word God, but they cannot know Him. 
That's David Jackman on the message of John's letters, Living in the Love of God. Because this is true, John encourages his writers, and he encourages us. And it is God who gave us his word who encourages us to not let what they have heard slip away. Don't let what you have heard slip away. Rather, remain in it. This is true for all believers. It needs to be true because when we're in a time of testing or a time of doubt, where do we need to go? Back to the beginning. Back to the beginning. To the source. Ad fontes, as the Renaissance would say. Back to the source. Remember the truths that you were taught. That God is light. Christ is our advocate. Love your brother, not the world. Remember how God has been faithful to you. Make an exercise today. Looking back over your life, mistakes and all, yes. And count all the blessings that God has done. And what you will find is God has proven himself to be faithful. If anyone, we do that actual counting, the only person in doubt is us. The only person lacking in faithfulness will be us. God has proven himself to be faithful time and time and time and time again. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. That's why John encourages them. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Remember the beginning. When you came to faith in Christ, remember that. Let it abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. If we abide in the Son, if we abide in the Father, the promise is eternal life. And John again makes the contrast. John loves using contrast. Between the world passing away and the promises of God. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Loved ones, this entire Bible was written so that we would not be deceived by the spirit of Antichrist. God in His grace not only gave us His Word, but He also gave us His Holy Spirit to teach us and to lead us and guide us into all truth concerning God and His Son. That's what He says in verse 27. But the anointing that you have received from Him abides in you. Now He's encouraging them. And you have no need that anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, but just as it has taught you, abide in Him. We need to be very clear what John is telling us here. What God Himself is telling us. He's not saying that I don't need to go to church, that I don't need a pastor, I don't need shepherds, I don't need elders, I don't need overseers, because the Holy Spirit teaches me. To say, well, I don't need The Holy Spirit is my teacher. That's a dangerous place to be. Because it puts you at your own inklings, your own desires. I can believe what I want, and I can say, well, the Spirit showed me. I've, I've known people in my, my lifetime as a Christian who, wacky, sad, dangerous, scary stuff. Well, the Holy Spirit. This is from God. It has to be. 
Wait, you're living together. But God brought us together. This is from God. Where in the world do you get that from? I'm not saying about anybody here. I don't, I don't know everybody. You know what I'm saying? That kind of stuff will justify things that are contrary to Scripture because we say, well, the Holy Spirit. God has led me into truth. Well, no, it's not truth unless it's God's truth. Let God be true in every man a liar. People will naturally take God's word and twist God's word to their own destruction. That's what Peter said when he's writing to his, his audience, writing to his church about the writings of Paul. It's the famous passage where Paul, Peter says Paul's writings are scripture. In 2 Peter 3.16, he, as he, meaning Paul, does in all his letters, when he speaks in them on these matters, there are some things then that are hard to understand, listen to this, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destructions as they do the other scriptures. Ignorant means untaught. If somebody who's unwilling to be taught, height of pride, I already know. I know everything. I don't really need to tell me. Holy Spirit tests me. The fact is, God has set in His church a structure of overseers and teachers so that the truth of God's Word is rightly divided and taught. And that's why the Bible will tell us that I, Mike, John and Lennon are under double judgment if we misuse the Word of God. If we do not rightly teach the Word of God, we are under the just judgment of God. The truth that is taught must be according to how God defines truth. I like what James Boyce says about this. He says, it is clear that when the Bible speaks of truth, it means truth absolutely. That is truth that is binding upon everyone, and that is true both now and forever. It is in this sense that God is true, that Christ is the truth, and the Bible is said to contain true propositions. Moreover, according to the Bible, such truth can be known. Hey, thanks be to God. It can be known by believing it. That is, it can be known by taking God at His word, as that word is recorded in the Bible, and by acting upon it. In 1 John, the aged author of the book even says that knowing the truth is one evidence of the new life of God within the Christian. Isn't that what John said? We can know that we know. This is how we come to know that we obey His commandments. We know His word and what He requires. Jesus was ministering and healing people, and in the midst of his ministering, a lady cried out to him. Well, let me just read it for you. And as he said these things, he was in the middle of preaching, and he was interrupted. And he says, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breast in which nursed you. Listen to Jesus' response. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That solution should come up on the screen, I hope. Luke 11, 27, 28. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. 
Loved ones, the Antichrist is coming. No question about it. Scripture's clear. It's not up for debate. It's going to happen because God said it's going to happen. But the fact is, many Antichrists are here right now. The spirit of Antichrist pervades our world. And we need to remind ourselves of how he operates. He comes how? As an angel of light, the scripture tells us. Oh, that looks good. It sounds good. Oh, that's spiritual. Oh, I had an experience. Really? Well, he comes as an angel of light, but in actuality, he's a ravenous lion seeking to destroy God's church. Again, listen to what David Jackman says. The Antichrist is thus a usurper who under false pretenses assumes a position to which he has no right and who resolutely opposes the rightful owner of that position, Christ. This deception must be detected and opposed in both our belief and our behavior. We need to respond to false teachings, false things about God's word in our belief and in our behavior. How do we respond to the spirit of the age? Are we willing to compromise? And if we are, then in essence, we are antichrists. Oh, I'm not an antichrist. I love God. I love Jesus. God's word says that for us, we're going to hold fast to the truth, uncompromising. And because of that, as we hold fast, in the end, we will have nothing to be ashamed of. It's what John says in verses 20 and 20. I don't know if it's going to come up on the screen. And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him at his coming. And now, little children, abide. Make your home in him. Hold fast to the truth. Jesus said, whoever builds his life on my words, when the storms come, the house will stand. What is the greatest storm that any human being can ever endure? Standing in front of the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. That's where you want your house to stand. Will your house stand? It will, and it's built upon the uncompromising truth of God's word. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Loved ones, the warning is given to us again. The Antichrist is coming. The Antichrists are here. They're in the church. And we need to be diligent students of God's word. So that we do not compromise. We don't look to the left or to the right. Because what will happen is we begin to look and see, as God warned the children of Israel, says, when you go into the land, don't even begin to inquire about how they worship their gods. Because you know what you're going to want to do? You're going to want to worship me in that way. We need to be uncompromising, no matter how unpopular it may be, no matter what people may say about us, no matter what people may do to us. Oh, I don't like that. Well... There's brothers and sisters in the world standing firm right now and suffering immensely for it. Jesus told us this was going to happen. May we not suffer. May we not face persecution. I don't want to go through it. Who would? You'd be a fool to say, I enjoy this. 
presence on the pleasant front a little while compared to eternity doesn't mean we compromise. I thank God that we have a church of people say, I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to stand firm. May this be our prayer. It's found in the book of Jude, and we'll close with this. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Father, may we keep ourselves in your love. May we be uncompromising in the truth of who you are. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who guides us in all truth. And we thank you for this, Lord, that if we truly are your child, we can never be taken out of your hand. Let us stand firm there. After having done all that you can do to stand, stand firm therefore with the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, sword of the Spirit, and the uncompromising Word of God, ready to bring the peace of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's stand, let's close the song.